Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. There's that great movie Up in the Air, if you've ever seen that with George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has one of those BS lines where he, whenever he fires somebody, he says, anybody who's ever built an empire has been sitting in the seat you're sitting in right now. He says that right before or right after he fires somebody. And he's right. That is a completely factual true statement. To build an empire, you have to be at rock bottom. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell-by-cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Scott, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. 
I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it is really cool to have you here. You know, I came across your story by way of somebody on your team who wrote in and said, you really should talk to our CEO, Scott. He has an amazing story. And having uh, been exposed to just a little bit of it a few minutes ago before we hit record, I am really, really excited to dig in. So um, I want to start by asking you, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a little kid? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life? Um, well, you know, I wanted to be everything when I grew up. I was always just so excited to do almost anything. Um, I think, you know, I can recall wanting to be a toy inventor and writing that down, but I did everything, you know, depending on how little kid you talk, I did everything from being a, doing mascot work to, uh, backyard wrestling to, um, designing my own haunted houses to you know doing a lot of stuff when i was really little though what i was good at is actually math that was my thing i was really good at math which is not necessarily the creative podcast but i i that was, <laughs> that was what i was good at uh so yeah no um as far as how that impacted me you know for me everything kind of just took a very sharp turn right when i uh hit fourth grade um for listeners who don't know, I was born with a, a very severe cleft palate. Uh, I got very, very lucky. I wasn't born with a hair lip. And um, my dad's work actually went on strike because they weren't going to cover my surgeries when I was a, a child. So I not only got a good surgeon, I got literally considered one of the best surgeons ever. They call them the man with the golden uh, hands. Um, he did uh, only a couple surgeries of different types every time, and then people would study how well he was able to do that. Um, so, you know, I worked, I had a bunch of surgeries for my cleft palate, and then, uh, you know, I had wanted to do all these different things. And as I got into fourth grade, I started, you know, being able to talk a little bit better. And, um, at that time I probably was still into the toy inventor idea. Cause I love that idea of just, you know, designing toys. Um, and then I started moving a little bit more into like math cause that's why basically the teachers were telling me I was strong at. And I had this one moment, like this clarifying moment that I remember so well in fourth grade, I was sitting down for this routine speech therapist conference and understand that I went to two to three hours of speech therapy every single day but Sunday. So I did about six, 18 hours a week of speech therapy at like a minimum. And then I had to practice at home too. And that was just to get to me to a point where I could be understood for people to comprehend what I was saying along with seven other surgeries. Now in this conference, she was sitting with my, talking to my parents. You know how people talk like the kids aren't really there. Um, it was one of those kind of conferences where I was sitting there, but not actually there as a person. Um, and she said to my parents, she's like, I want you to know um, in all my years, what Scott has done is nothing short of a borderline a miracle. Uh, and I want to compare it to a man with a clubbed foot running in an Olympic relay. It is borderline not even possible what we have accomplished here. And then she made this kind of offhanded side comment. She said, um, I mean, he could do anything he wants. And then she laughed and she said, I mean, not like theater or public speaking, but basically anything he wants. And at that moment, I decided I'm doing theater. 
<laughs> at that exact, exact moment. So like most of your inspirational uh, people you've had on here uh, over your many, many podcasts, I am entirely motivated by spite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So many questions come from that. Um, okay. The first, you know, is one of the things that I, I recognize often when people describe their childhoods is this very sort of limitless sense of imagination and possibility. I mean, you rattled off, you know, probably half a dozen different things that you could be that you expressed an interest in. Yeah, and I am curious why you think we lose that. Like what it what is it that causes us to lose that. And as somebody who, you know, I think in many ways helps people tap into their imaginations with the work, you know, that you do, how do you get it back in adult life? Oh, okay. Well, this is a, like perhaps a subject I'm the most passionate about. Um, so in general, I want to describe to you an event that's never happened. So did you play with like G.I. Joe's as a kid or something yeah, like did, that? Except okay. I, I got in trouble because um, I would set them on fire and try to melt their faces. And one day, one of our uh, friend's moms found them in the backyard, and I was no longer allowed to go over. <laughs> uh, well, who and doesn't a, burn a G.I. Joe? a little Joe? arsonist phase. So I, I remember once putting one of my G.I. Joe's in coffee for like seven days to see how <laughs> it – like just to see like how would that play out. And the answer is – it comes out without paint, so <laughs> kind of cool, actually. Um, but it has like a coffee look to it. It's kind of uh, anyway. Uh, so you know, when you're a kid and you have you're playing with toys, you're never you're you're playing with them and back and forth, and you're like, oh, I'll get you Cobra Commander. No, you won't. Oh, Flint, yes, I will. And then you you don't just stop suddenly and say, wait, what am I doing? Oh my God, I need a job. I need responsibilities. Oh, I've been playing with these toys. I'm an idiot. What am I doing playing with toys? That doesn't happen to you. Like that nobody actually says that playing is stupid. Nobody actually believes that playing is stupid. This is uh, not nature. This is nurture. Playing is always fun. People absolutely love to play. They just get into this kind of trap in life. And, you know, everybody kind of goes through the same thing. Um, and at different times and stuff like that. And some people have very tragic stories of needing to work. But a large portion of people, they kind of got that job because they wanted to hang out with their friends a little bit more and it, they needed money and their parents tried to teach them responsibility. And suddenly, like, that job becomes like, another job or you're suddenly like the manager at like pay less, you know, or your assistant manager. Like, how did that happen? And you do that and you're in college, you're in high school and you got that job. And then they tell you to go to college to get more, get a better job because if you don't go to college, you can't get a better job. And it's not that we ever decide to stop playing or stop doing this stuff. It's literally almost all of society kind of demanding it constantly telling you this is something you don't do this is something you don't do i mean nobody's ever um you know been like hey what do you want to do well, let's go back to my house and play with toys that's not how you pick up a girl um, <laughs> that's not how life works but um it's partly that you know it's partly hormones but we stop doing it not because it's a good idea to stop doing it. We stop doing it because we're just kind of conditioned. We're told to stop doing it. The toys are ripped out of our hands, not uh, – we don't actually set them down. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so why do we lose that? I, I think because we're told to kind of lose that. And one of the worst, one of the worst things I have to tell you about this in concept is the idea of safety. I have no idea why parents pitch safety involving jobs. I understand why you pitch it like safety as in, hey, don't lick that poison or <laughs> maybe you shouldn't set things on fire. Um, but as far as jobs, what job is safe? Nothing's safe. There's no safety. Uh -huh. If you're trying to climb up a corporate ladder, they're, like ladders get pushed over and you have to try to climb up a different one. And everybody has a story of their friends or family where they're in that – you know, the only safe jobs is go be a high school janitor. If you do a good <laughs> job, you will never have to leave. That is a safe job. You're safe in jobs in which you – <laughs> you know, no, in which nobody wants them. If nobody wants that job, then yeah, you're safe. But if anybody else wants that job, then you're not safe. Um, I go and I talk to different high schools and stuff like that. And I, I call this principle because I talk mainly to people going into theater and how their parents are probably going to tell them at some point in time, well, if you're going to college, why don't you, and you want to do theater, why don't you also get a teaching degree? And I call that principle moving one to the left. And I look at jobs as kind of like lines. Like there's people standing in line to kind of try to get this job. And they look at theater, for example, and they're like, you know what? Theater is so hard. It's so hard to get into theater. It's so not safe. You never know where your next paycheck is going to be. It's so difficult. And why would you go into teaching? And so they sit there and like, you know what? I don't really want an unsafe life. I'll go in the safety of teaching. Well, the problem is I have a friend named Tom. And my friend Tom doesn't want to be a person in theater. He doesn't want to be anything in his whole life other than a teacher. He's wanted to be a teacher his entire life. So the people that switched over from wanting to do this in the safety of teaching, they're competing with Tom. And that's not okay. Because Tom's going to beat them because his every bit of his heart is into this. Every single square inch of him is into this. He worked his entire life to be able to get this opportunity. And he feel and you're going to try to compete with him when your heart's in something else. So my personal thoughts, my advice is don't switch over one to left. Do exactly what you want to do precisely and don't lose that concept because when you lose that concept uh, of doing what you want to do you're kind of like just cashing in your hand and being like well i'll get them next time unless you're a reincarnationalist believer there is no next time this is it you have this shot to be able to do what you want to do uh and it boggles my mind that people you know are like bah, whatever high school janitor that's good safe fine we're good I, you know, that, that's, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. So how do you go about getting back this sort of sense of limitless imagination and possibility in adult life? And, and what is your work in the theater and what you've done showing you about that? Um, I mean, don't, uh, I didn't lose much of it because I had such a weird, weird life. But I didn't lose a lot of it because I didn't listen to a lot of people talking to me about safety or talking to me about how I couldn't do something. And if I did, it kind of motivated me more. If I'm looking for inspirations as far as creativity, I try to just actually hang out 
um, a little bit because that's usually where, you know, if I don't see my friends for a long time uh, or I don't actually, you know, you know, the people that you laugh, truly laugh with those. If you don't hang out with those people some and you just go and watch TV, you kind you can lose some creativity there. I've certainly found that. Um, but it's actual legit work. And I, I think that a lot of people don't understand that they think that like creativity is something that like you just kind of have and you're just thinking up ideas all the time um and that's not really the case you know i have to sit down and i have to write these scripts and when i write these scripts they're hard work and you know i take something that i might be thinking is funny and then i write it down and then i'm like that's not very funny and or i take something i kind of saw once and i'm like it would be funnier if it went this way and then i write that down um, and kind of rework something and you just keep reworking it until it turns out to be something that feels very creative. Um, but I don't think that creativity is necessarily something that like, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, if you're waiting for inspiration to strike, you might as well just keep waiting your whole life or you're going to keep waiting your whole life. Cause that's what it is. Yeah. You're going to wait your whole life. Inspiration doesn't strike. You know, you have problems and you work them out and then you realize, hey, maybe that would be a good idea to do sometime later. But creativity is just hard work. That's what it is to me. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to, uh, for you to say that. It's and very timely because I, I was just, you know, going back through Twyla Tharp, Tharp's book, The Creative Habit, and also, you know, writing about, um, you know, creative habits because that's, that's exactly what the book that I'm currently working on is about. And I said, you know, usually when you think of the word creativity, the first words that come to mind are not discipline, commitment, and, and habits, but usually those are the foundations of, of all creativity. Um, <clears throat> I think that habitual creativity is what leads to resonant and impactful work, and sporadic creativity is fun, but it, it doesn't really lead to a lot of progress i can tell you one that you've never heard uh i'm pretty sure i think some of the most creative ideas come from absolute hatred of something else <laughs> um i can uh, like the times that i can give you that i have come up with stuff that was truly like you know has made my life so to speak are from times where I've been the most amount of frustrated or the most amount of angry about how something is. Uh, for example, I'm endlessly and I have like a bottomless pit of frustration and anger over almost every single theatrical thing that happens in America or outside of America. Uh, and it's not that I'm like just sitting back and trying to hate on it, but I, I can tell you that theater once had a very direct place and it made sense you know uh, if you thought back to like the 1600s there was such a differential in entertainment and the value and the amount of entertainment that there was uh, so for example you know uh, there's probably a point in time in the 1600s where some kids were running around the house and a parent did that thing where they slammed their fist on the table in frustration they said Gosh dang it, kids, I just took you to a play a month ago. What more entertainment do you want in the same way that you can get frustrated when you take your kids to Disney World and then, like, they're rambunctious on, like, the car ride home and you're like, we just did seven days in Disney World. What more do you want from me? Uh, but that used to be like you just saw a play. And before that, it was like Grandpa just told you a fire by the story, uh, a story by the fire just a little while ago. Um, and for me, theater – in general, um, is 
so outdated in many ways that it's just trying to be a movie. That's why I feel like we have like Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, Shrek the Musical, Legally Bond the Musical, Rocky the Musical, Aladdin the Musical, Lion King the Musical, uh, Office Space the Musical, Point Break the Musical. I can literally just think of almost any movie that I've ever liked and it's a musical now. And it's just trying to be movies, which is – been such a source of absolute frustration to me because we lose theater loses to movies because movies cost $10 or less. Uh, you can watch them anywhere on your phone, in your car, um, at your home or in a movie theater. So you have tons of options. Theater is a, or movies are a closer medium and there's only one thing a movie really can't do. It can't interact and that has been my frustration with theater for such a long time is why don't they ever interact? Um, and I saw one that was a big breaking point for me. I saw um, an absolutely terrible music musical with uh, Hugh Jackman in it uh, called A Boy From Oz. And A Boy From Oz, and I'm sure somebody will put post in comments that it doesn't have this many songs, but it has like 30-something songs. They sing nonstop. And I don't even know what the plot of that uh, of that play is. I, I can't even tell you. I was there watching it. I have no idea. But <laughs> he go he went out like he didn't take a break. Uh, I almost said during halftime. You can tell I watch football. Um, he didn't take a break for intermission. He just walked down on stage and started talking to people in his character, and nobody left. For intermission, it was one of those things where you know it's the theater month where they try to raise charity, and you know God bless him, he did great work, and he raised a lot of charity. I think he sold his shirt literally off of his person for like a thousand dollars. So he he did a great job, but he was up there interacting with the crowd, and I'm like, every single person in this audience significantly enjoys what you are doing right now more, Hugh Jackman, than the play that you worked on for probably a couple months and that's where that so for those kind of things those have been my creative inspiration which is designed basically on the frustration of what i feel like something could be and where i think it could go and that's where i think a lot of my personal creativity um goes into uh gets into if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely well i want to talk about the cleft palette thing uh okay because you know, I, I think that this is a, a rather interesting pattern that I, I've started to observe. You, know, you mentioned that, you know, probably like a lot of people, a lot of your success with this is driven by spite. And, you know, the, the funny thing is that theater and public speaking are like literally the polar opposites of what anybody with cleft palate would go out and try to do and make a living out of and a career out of. And, you know, I noticed an almost similar pattern, um, you know, with, with another guest that we had here, a guy named John Levy, who has created this incredibly, you know, um, powerful dinner series called the influencer dinners. And yet, you know, he said in, in high school, he was like a total geek and a, almost a social outcast. And yet he's bringing together the most influential people in society. And, <laughs> you know, and, and to me that that's kind of like, okay, so this one thing troubles you so much that you compensate for it at a level that leads to this outsized success. And, you know, I, I'm curious why that occurs and why does it occur for some people and why does it not end up being the case for others? It's always hard to judge why it doesn't occur for others. I can tell you that one of my most significant differences in my lifetime um, is that the fact that I've never drank, smoked, done anything. 
I've I don't believe in kind of being entertained that way. Um, so I've never done drugs. I'm basically very I'm very very close to what is called like straight edge. So that has helped me because I don't really have any other choices. Uh, I've looked in this concept. Uh, I don't have choices of just thinking things are okay. You know, when you start drinking or you smoke weed or something like that, you just kind of are okay with your life. And I've never had that moment. I am perpetually uh, dissatisfied with my life. And I probably sound like the worst boss ever. I'm really not, I swear. Um, (laughs) But uh, I can tell you that recently I crossed a point where I realized I'm not actually capable of being happy in this company except for one circumstance. So let me give you an example. So I go into private sales and we have a whole call center here uh, that I helped run with everybody calling in and blah, 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 blah. And if I go up to them and I say, hey, are all the leads taken care of? Uh, and they say, yes, I, I'm very unhappy because I'm like, oh, no, we don't have any leads right now. <laughs> and if they say, no, I'm very unhappy because I'm like, oh, no, our people aren't getting taken, getting the leads taken care of in time. Uh, and so the only way that I can actually be happy with that particular answer is the idea that I ask them, hey, are all the leads taken care of? They say yes. And then they say, oh, but one just came in. <laughs> and that's it. That's my one window for being satisfied. Uh, so I, I'm a person that just I, I didn't want to be satisfied with my life. But I'm also a person that grew up very poor with, you know, a very, very working class family that I knew that I would have to take care of very soon. I knew that the clock was ticking on that. Um, I knew that I had very, very, very little time to actually be able to fail and be okay. I knew that I had a safety net of almost nothing. I knew that there was a strong possibility that I would die in the street or that I could potentially, um, you know, uh, end up stealing to live something like that. Uh, these were all real possibilities in my lifetime. I, I will tell you that I have a harder time motivating my daughter who doesn't have that sense. And for me, I think that's a constant, uh, battle. And that's one reason that parents of people who, uh, grow up poor, but end up at least mildly affluent, Um, those people have kids that oftentimes have a very low success rate because they don't know how to connect. I don't, I have a hard time knowing how to motivate her, but for me, it's, it's very easy to motivate yourself to say, I'm either going to have a life at McDonald's at best if I can get that job and note, I can't talk to people. So I'm not going to be able to get the good job at McDonald's. I'm going to be a fry cook, uh, or I'm going to have a, um, I really hope that McDonald's is not one of your sponsors, by the way, because I, <laughs> I deeply apologize. McDonald's great, and I'm loving it. Uh, I actually just did a show for McDonald's, ba da ba ba ba. But I didn't want that life. So for me, I mean, there's no choice. Why? Why do other people? I think other people just choose safety and they choose drinking. Uh, I, I can l- let me tell you one moment in my life. I've had a couple like true moments, and then just a bunch of blur, but. Fast forward to uh, ninth grade for me. I actually got into this very, uh, very, very fortunate. I got into this 
theater program, like this experimental awesome theater program in Livonia, Michigan that they were trying out because Livonia passed every millage ever. And my parents had gotten me out of Detroit and I got into this school and I won this audition, not because I was good, but because I dressed like a pirate for the entire day in eighth grade to do this pirate monologue. And literally the teacher said, if you can bring that (laughs) then we will take you. And that was it. Um, And she let me in. But I'm sitting there, and here I am, 15, 16 years old, freshman in high school, first real day, sitting in this theater program, big round circle of basically model children. Not like good children, but like models, like children who had been models. Uh, So they are significantly better looking than me. And they're telling – we're going through what they had done for their career already. So I am just like, uh, learn to talk. That's, that's, I've learned to talk. That's all I have done for my career already. And they're like, well, I have my own show uh, on cable access. Other ones have been like, I used to be a guest model. I did this. I did that. And I'm just like sitting there just dying in my chair. I'm like – I realized that at that moment there was no way I could ever catch up. I couldn't do it. It is impossible. If these kids who are talented, attractive – and are working at the same speed I am, keep going forward. They have a 15-year jump on me, plus genetics, plus they sound better. And I still have to work another four or five years on my voice just to pretend to be able to sound like them. And I realized that I am screwed. But I didn't give up at that moment. I just, I kept going. I kept going. They gave me parts where it was like, you know, this kid has autism. And I'm like, okay, great, thanks. Um, because you, Scott, sound like the most like a kid with autism. And I'm like, all right, I'll take it. And I took anything. I did anything I could. I auditioned for everything. Did anything I could. But what happened was this defining thing. I started going to parties with them, and they all started trying alcohol. They all started doing drugs. Drugs is very prevalent in the you know theater scene, obviously. And they slowed down. And they allowed me to catch up because of that. Mm-hmm. And every time they were you know, going out and drinking, I was working uh, because I knew that that was my only shot to catch up. If they somehow killed enough brain cells to be able to do – to be able to catch up, I might be able to have a shot. And even then, I still got into this slant ways. I had to create something that never existed before, um, get lucky five times, fail 55 times. Um, and still find a way to make this work. And I'm still there completely slant ways. You're not uh, interviewing Scott, the guy who was recently on the Kardashians or recently starring in the movie. You're interviewing Scott, the guy who writes quirky murder mysteries and runs a very, very large theater and does like four or five other very odd styles of entertainment. Hmm. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? 
But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. Wow. Okay. Good. I, so, I, you said to challenge me for long-windedness. I hope that <laughs> I, I told you I can go toe-to-toe with anybody in long-windedness. Uh, dude, this, is, this has been phenomenal. So I think that makes a perfect segue to start talking about the actual work that you do. And, and I'm really curious kind of um, what the trajectory of your life and your career has been and sort of the significant inflection points that have led to, you know, what I got, you know, we got put on my radar, which was theater. But also I want to talk about a lot of the other things that you mentioned before we hit record. I want to say this to your listeners just real quick. Um, the wonderful host here is significantly smarter than me. <laughs> and based on the word choices that he uses and everything else. So if you happen to be listening to this and you're like, damn, this show is way too smart for me. Don't worry. I was somewhat successful, too. <laughs> and I am not as smart as him. So you can still do it. Okay. Guy who doesn't know necessarily every word he just said, but kind of fakes it like I do. You can still do it. All right. So what you were saying something about the inflective difference of the resources <laughs> involving Intuit studies of mathematics. What, what were you saying? Um, what have been sort of the significant moments in the trajectory of your career that have led you to where you're at and what you're doing? Okay. So um, I, I I had built uh, a life doing haunted houses, and I was very lucky. I can't I I can't say I stumbled into it, but I wasn't actively pursuing that. I was making like movies and stuff like that, not like good movies, like my movies. And one of the people who owned a location saw me doing that. He hired me uh, to do a haunted house because he thought I was a lot older than I was. I was only nineteen at the time. He thought I was around twenty six, twenty seven. Um. And uh, I got lucky in that regard. He saw me directing people. So he's like, hey, I'm doing this haunted house. And I plunged full tilt into that. He's like, have you ever wanted to do a haunted house? And my answer, if you've never been taught this, just always answer, yes, yes, I can. Uh, somebody tells you, hey, I have this job about riding horses. You're like, I'm a horse riding god. And then you go home and you learn to ride a horse. Um, when he said haunted houses, I told him 15 things about why I was the best person ever to run a haunted house. I, I'm not positive any of those things were true. But by the time he saw me next, all 15 of those things were true. I just went home and made them happen. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, – yes, Absolutely. You just keep saying that. So I had built this whole career on this, and I got to about 27 years old. I was running one of the largest haunted houses in the nat uh, nation. I had designed two or three others. I was building kind of career. I was teaching at conferences. I ran one of the largest volunteer haunted houses in the country. And I had about six or seven other small kind of jobs to make it up. 
Uh, I then through I'm I know it's hard to believe, but literally just kind of bad luck. I lost all my jobs in one year. Uh, I had a couple companies collapse. I had um, I, uh, the the haunt uh, the haunted house that I was working for. I had created an idea that made them a tr- significant amount of money, like an absurd amount of money. And I was on a profit sharing program, but I also wasn't on a contract. So instead of paying me, he fired me, which financially was a really smart move for him. Uh, but I had that happen. So I was just like 27, 28, and I had nothing. I All that was left was this little tiny occasional group that I was in that did improv comedy shows in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and murder mystery dinners. And that's it. I was I was 27. I left high school definitely as one of the people viewed uh, most likely to succeed. I left high, high school as thespian of the year in a very competitive field. And I was working in Art Van by the time I was 27, which is a furniture store, if you're unfamiliar. I was selling furniture in Michigan in 2008 during the worst economic collapse since 1929 on a commission-based job only. I had nothing but those things. So – I had nowhere – I was rock bottom again. I just had to go as hard as I possibly could. And I was lucky. I view that moment, that time as lucky because if I had hit the pinnacle of haunted house stuff, I would be nowhere close to where I am right now. There's that great movie Up in the Air, if you've ever seen that with George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has one of those BS lines where he, whenever he fires somebody, he says, anybody who's ever built an empire – has been sitting in the seat you're sitting in right now. He says that right before or right after he fires somebody. And he's right. That is a completely factual true statement. To build an empire, you have to be at rock bottom. Uh, To be that absolute, completely desperate. Um, I I can uh, invent – we invented stuff. Uh, I turned the entirety of Art Van – Furniture because we I'd sit there for twelve to thirteen hours and I get maybe two or three customers on a commission job three or two customer opportunities not sales opportunities so not only did I have to become the best salesman ever to make that work and to be able to not die um, I had I had to also find a way to get out of there and all I had left was this murder mystery thing and. Um, I just worked it. You know, the story of that is very, very, very long, but we, I just kept working it. I kept working it. I turned everybody in Art Van to people that helped me from everything from proofing scripts to designing logos to, you know, helping me with my website to competitive reports to anything. Because if you're really passionate, people follow you. And they thought it was cool. It was better than reading a magazine. So they were helping me and they were covering for me when I was hiding uh, between two boxes in a back room while I was being paged. But I was technically trying to sell a murder mystery show from a warehouse. So they helped cover for me there. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that maybe is that is that yeah. that's definitely one of them. Um, you know, one of our biggest designs was. Uh, like creative things because one thing that people don't know about murder mysteries is there is of course other murder mystery groups that do them uh but for the murder mystery company 
how we do them is completely different. Um, and the reason it's different is from both frustration of what I found in other theaters and honestly necessity. I kept getting call after call of people who wanted to do these 13 person, 10 person parties. And to me, you know, you have to pay actors and we always paid actors a very reasonable wage. We didn't uh, want to jip actors or do actors at like $25 or some ridiculous other thing. We always paid actors between 75 and a hundred dollars per show. And we, I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. And basically, you know, they had 10 people. So I'd have to quote them like $500 or $600 because you'd need four actors, right? Every murder mystery would have to have four actors because you have to have a detective. You have to have a guy who dies and then maybe he comes back to the detective. So that's one person. It's unlikely for him to do it. So if you uh, have two other people, well, then one of them's the killer and you have a 50 50 chance of getting it. That's a really b- bad murder mystery. Uh, then you can have three people uh, and the detective, and you can maybe say, hey, maybe it was the detective who killed the guy, even though he wasn't here at the time. Uh, so maybe you can get that down to like a 25% chance. And most companies view that as an adequate amount of people to do a murder mystery. But four actors at $100 each is $400. If I did $500, that's making $100 profit, which is not a lot for how much work goes into doing these. Um, so my boss came up to me and I told him the problem. And he's like, oh, you just need to do it with only one actor. And I'm like, you're an idiot. That's impossible. And I'm like, but then late at night, I wo- I actually literally woke up and I'm like, oh, he's right. I have to figure out how to do these with one actor. How is that even possible? Because the guy's going to have to die and have killed himself. And I'm like, the only people left to do it is the actual audience. It would have to be them who are the suspects. And the very next day I met with uh, my writing partner, Michael Hare, uh, who is a brilliant, brilliant man, still works uh, with the company. And me and him banged out an idea of how to do one and two actor shows in which it was actually engaging and interactive. And people were suspects in these stress-free ways and we banged it out and we started doing them and then we realized that was probably completely wrong and then we redid them and then we redid them and we redid them and we failed like 17 more shows in a row where they were good shows but they weren't like where you want them to be you know and boom you know eventually we hit what we actually have now which can be as close to functional magic as I've ever seen. You know, it's people in the audience truly being special. And now we have all of this training and mantra of making sure that somebody from the audience actually, uh, everybody, not somebody, everybody in the audience leaves with a story of something that happens to them. They leave with the ability to actually have a true you know, story because the value of watching things nowadays is so low and it just keeps getting lower. So our shows are completely immersive and completely interactive. And from that, you know, so necessity, frustration, you know, these are the kind of things, you know, just not dying. These are the kind of things that I think harness and focus a lot of creativity because you have no choice. Mm-hmm. You know, so part of what really drew me into your story was the immersive and interactive nature of, of what you've created. And, you know, 
I can't help but go back to something uh, the graffiti artist Eric Walsh said to me, something that I often quote when I'm giving a talk. He said, you know, live music has engaged participants. Keynote speaking has passive consumers. There's room to be explored and how you bridge the gap between those two things. Uh, and, you know, I am curious how you would take sort of this immersive and experiential um, context and overlay it in, in other situations, like in the world of business, in the world of, you know, other, other forums to, in order to create a more immersive and entertaining experience. And, and, you know, what does that do for the person who is involved when you have such an experience? It's life-changing. I mean, I have people, we, we deal in such a different realm and I have to hire such completely different kinds of actors for what we do. People, you know, I feel like the whole our whole society is obsessed with like two cities, New York and L.A. And a lot of those people have real cool lives. But the majority of us, the majority of the people that live in this country, uh, they go to college, they get a job, they or they don't go to college, but they get a job and they work 10, 15 years and they have endless responsibilities of not having the health care for their parents, not having – you know, having to feed their children, having all of these responsibilities, have responsibilities, have responsibilities, and they have to work to make everything work, and they don't feel special. And it is so unbelievably important to feel special. It is so unbelievably important in your life to have experiences where you do things, where you actually do things, where you don't watch things. Uh, when you think, you know, when Survivor came out. The show Survivor to backtrack a long time ago. It was just going to be a flash in the pan. Reality TV was viewed as game shows. It wasn't going to actually be a thing. It was a show where they're going to watch people eat rats. People were upset about the idea of it even. Uh, and now reality TV is all we have. And the reason is a simple concept, mirror neurons. Have you ever heard of mirror neurons? Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, so mirror neurons – for people uh, who you know haven't heard of them, you know basically they're a voluntary involuntary memory reflux. It's the kind of thing that you put up a guard for, so you don't always think of everything. But when you watch your friend drink a coke, you imagine yourself drinking a coke. Reality TV fits into this genre where you're watching the Kardashians and you imagine yourself buying those things. You imagine yourself having that life. You think about them. I'm sure you've met people who talk like they actually know them somehow and they don't. They've never met them. And the problem with this, the problem with this reality is it's so hollow. It's so painfully hollow. And in business and in workshopping, in anything, it is so important to actually, actually engage with people. And everybody is so scared for some particular reason that the second there's a stage thing, the second that there's anything involving like public speaking or something, everybody's just going to wilt and die. And there's no way that people could get up and act or there's no way they can get up and actually be somebody in a moment and actually have a real experience that has to be somehow sheltered from them and that is not true at all and i have done over a thousand shows like this and i can tell you that 99.9 percent .9 of all people in the right environment can get up improv and be an actual star and i am not talking about a certain type of people i am talking about all people and they just don't get a chance 
So it is so important to actually give these kind of people, especially the people that don't get to feel special, the people that don't have Kardashian-type lifestyles, to give these kind of people the opportunity to truly, truly live, to feel special, uh, to engage with them on a personal level in a fun way, though, like playing. Because, you know, I can only talk about dress-up type things um, where people wear silly hats and they act like it's the 1920s, but people engage that way. And if you don't believe me, just joke with people. Go to your bank teller and just joke with her. Joke with people. Create imaginary situations. Be like, oh, is it a good day today? Uh, it, it was pretty good. I mean, I robbed a couple convenience stores, but uh, and, but I didn't get caught, so it's good <laughs> bad, you know? And, you know, create these amazing scenarios for people and You'll watch everybody plays along, everybody. So if you're at home and you're thinking of this from a business standpoint or you're trying to like look at this from a perspective of how does this incorporate with my business, how does this incorporate uh, with what I do, the first thing I would say is you should totally hire us. We're great. Uh, the next thing I would say if you don't want to hire us is engage and definitely make sure that everything you're doing allows people to actually shine and actually be a part of it. The idea of immersive theater is taken two different ways. You have the sleep no more way. Um, are you familiar with sleep no more? Mm -mm. I'll do a quick rundown. Basically sleep no more is a very popular, most popular immersion theater, uh, singular event in New York. And what you do is it's a very elaborate dance at the McKendrick hotel. It's a choreographed thing. It's all silent. It's very, very cool. You go through, you can touch, taste, do anything you want. There's no restrictions except you have to wear a mask and you can't talk. So you wear kind of like those elongated masquerade masks. It's truly an experience that you have to go see if you've never seen it. But that is uh, immersive theater type one where you're seeing a play and you're kind of a part of it. What we do is much more broad form because they don't believe in the concept of being able to engage with people in a talking element or having them actually have faces. They It's more voyeuristic what they do, and it's still very cool. It's a very, very cool thing. I'm not bragging on it at all. But what we do is full, absolute immersive engagement, which is incredibly, incredibly rare. I actually can't name another immersion uh, theater company other than American Immersion Theater Company that does this kind of full immersive engagement where people play characters, uh, people – we found ways and psychological things to make people so that they don't feel stressed out the whole time because it can be terrifying. People are less scared of snakes plus death than they are public speaking. They're less scared of plane crashes than public speaking. Um, so – in general, you know, you want to try to find that medium for actual engagement. You want to try to find a way to play with people, make up stories, let people play. That is incredibly, incredibly important. Wow. Okay. So um, <laughs> I have to ask about well, something I would that... like to – I'm just going to just click the delete button right now. You're just like, <laughs> uh, this is not good. Wow. No, what did is, I just do? This has been awesome. <laughs> like you've packed this with so many valuable insights and nuggets. It's, it's just been a blast. Um, but there's no way that I, I could get out of this conversation without asking you about something that we meant, you mentioned at the beginning, the paparazzi company. Um, yeah. You've got to tell me about that and uh, tell me you know, what have been the experiences that people have had with it. 
All right. So famous for a day is what it's called. And we run multiple different companies. We do a princess party company. Uh, we do mur uh, murder mystery dinners, of course, if they're a murder mystery company. These are my shameless cheap plugs. Uh, but if you go to famousforaday.co, so famousforaday.co, um, you can check it out. But basically what we do is you get to live our Kardashian-type lifestyle for 30 to 60 minutes. It's commonly used for bachelorette parties, but it can be used for large company events, lots of different things. But of all the things we do, beyond you know the amazement of children's faces, this is probably the one that is the most magical. And the reason I say that is because uh. – it changes not only your world, but the entirety of the world around you because it's so unexpected. So um, let's say you're in St. Louis, okay, mm -hmm. and you have this bachelor art party. What we do is we're fake paparazzi and we act like a certain person is famous. We create either a story or you tell us things about this person and we follow them from place to place. Now – that may sound cool for that person, and it really is. And we'll provide like a fake bodyguard or a fake publicist to really create the experience. We even have um, you know limo services on call if you want to go full Kardashian so you can get out of the limo. But people use it a lot of times to like club hop. But <laughs> first off, you go get right in. Despite the fact that you're not really famous, every <laughs> single club, every single time, they remove the velvet rope. You and your party get right in. They do not check a list. They do not look at who you are. They do not do anything. You get right into any club in the country. Um, number two, people, if, as long as you're in a crowded place, and generally I found as long as it's at night, which I recommend doing these at night, uh -huh. people run up to People ask for your picture. People <laughs> ask for your autograph. And these aren't our plants. These are people. Uh, so it's a little bit like a practical joke you play on people. Uh -huh. But we have hundreds of examples of these pictures where people, you know, took these selfies and been like, I just met Jillian. <laughs> and they're like, that's awesome. I don't know who that is, but I just met her. And she had paparazzi following me. So because there's too many famous people right now. Like, I, you know, it's not like the 1930s where there's like six famous people. Uh -huh. You might be one of them. Um, th it's so amazing. So, you know, that's the – to me, that's immersion theater. <laughs> to me, that's something where we change your landscape. That, that will be a story that people will have – and walk away from. And I think that's what's so important. When when your grandma tells those like three or four stories over and over again, my goal is to be one of those stories, to be involved in some of how she felt special. She had that amazing thing, how paparazzi followed around, how her granddaughter got to meet uh, Belle, anything like that. That's the kind of thing that you know I want to be involved in. And that's what any company that I work with does. <laughs> Makes me think I should just hire you guys to to you know follow me around on a Friday night sometime just to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We can we will hook that up for you, and you can uh, talk about it on a podcast or something. Yeah, that sounds like it would, would be a fun? really really interesting yeah. social experiment. Uh, yeah, I, I may actually take you up on that. Yeah. <laughs> I may take you up on that at some point. Yeah, absolutely. You should do it. Let's do it right here. You heard it live on a podcast, which is not actually live as recording, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> 
Well, this has been really, really amazing. I, I can see why you were uh, recommended by somebody on your team as, as a guest. This has been one of my favorite conversations that I've had all year. Um, you, you've been really entertaining and, and funny and insightful. So I have one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Um, what makes somebody or something unmistakable? It's a really good question that should have like a finalized answer. I'm obviously <laughs> being different is, you know, what makes something actually unmistakable because if you're the same and you're a clone, obviously that's the most mistakable type thing. Um, you know, finding a way to truly be different. I think that so many times people are looking at starting up a business or looking to get on a train. That's one of the most interesting things about society is people are like, oh, my God, you know what's hot right now? Uh, the Internet. I should do an Internet thing, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, if, it, if it's hot right now, you probably shouldn't get into it because everybody's doing it. And it's impossible to be unmistakable. You should find something that's ice cold right now and <laughs> figure out how to do that, you know, because, uh, you know, then you can be actually unmistakable because you're doing something actually functionally different. Hmm. Well, um, this has been truly amazing and uh, really, really fun. Where can people learn more about you? Um, about me personally? You don't want to learn more about me. You've learned enough about me. <laughs> um, so I recommend uh, all of our cool little websites, as I said, famousforaday.co. Uh, we own Princess Parties. Dot com or the princess party company uh so many plugs so many plugs um we're the murder mystery company you go to the murder mystery co.com uh you can search the murder mystery company uh we are for that one we are literally everywhere it's hard to miss us but we're the murder mystery company we're in 30 different states uh we did 3,500 shows a little over that last year so we are definitely around you you can come see a public show you can go to you can get a private show just for you we are incredibly reasonably priced we are a volume scale provider uh because we want people who have done hundreds of shows um God, there's so many things to plug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, atmos uh, atmospheric entertainment. If you're ever looking for like a character to come to your party, but it's not like an it's like an event, but it's not like you want a story. So like you want like cigarette girls or like you want bad waiters to be at your wedding or something like that. We do those kind of fun social experience. If you've ever seen anything that looks like a practical joke involving actors, that's probably us, and it's probably uh, <laughs> atmospheric entertainment dot events. Uh, that's our main website for that. Uh, but we have websites individually for every single state, every single city in America, uh, except Alaska. If you're in Alaska right now, I'm sorry, we really don't cater to you. We're the worst. <laughs> we'll send all your payments directly to me. Um, and uh, you can always call us and get a hold of us at 888-643-CLUE. That's 888-643-2583. Uh, that's how you get a hold of us for anything a largely murder mysteries, but it will take any calls into that line. Uh, if you still do the thing where you call people, I don't know if anybody does that anymore. I'm pretty old. <laughs> well, um, I, I can't thank you enough for, for, you know, joining us and sharing your story and your insights with us. And this has been hilarious, insightful and provocative. And, uh, it's, it's been really fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on. You are an amazing host. Everybody continue to listen to this awesome podcast. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? 
Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.